rolling. Fratelloni's Hardware and Garden Stores brings you Garage Logic Podcast number 1182, November 1st, 2023. 77 degrees on this day in 1933, and 10 degrees on this day in 1951, and also on this day in 1991, 18 and a half inches of snow. Hail the flashlight, King! And now, from the mayor's office above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Chris Reavers manning Technology Corner, Kenny Olson from the Krabby Coffee Shop, John Hyde in the newsroom, and of course, the rookie. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and the keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Sushir. Ordered my new... 2024 Freshwater Society weather calendar today. I always think that's an important task to check off the to-do list. How was your Halloween? Festive. Was it? We had a lot of kids. Uh, We had the slide work and the gutter slide, big with the kids. The uh, skeleton riding a bike with the skeleton in the basket was a huge hit. You didn't have two skeletons canning apricots? I did not. (laughs) Oh, but um, I got a note from uh, Mark Hunter. We had 204 trick or treaters come to wow. our house tonight. Every what? one, every one of them said thank you or happy Halloween. I asked some of the kids what kind of trick they would do if I don't give you a treat, and they all said, "I will walk away," meaning they'd make him disappear. There are still great parents in this country still raising their kids with proper manners. My wife and I thank them and wish them to have a fun night. Thank you. Where is this guy from? Oh, nowhere near the country. I would say um, Gumption County, definitely. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's from a, uh, he's not in the metro area. You got that right. He's from Little Falls. Okay. That's that's far enough away. Still. We call it central Minnesota. Well, that's However, far enough well, away. That's where that, the... uh, that Nazi pilot was from there, wasn't he? Little Falls. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> he was from there. Yeah. Lost well, track was, uh, of his kid. The South St. Paulites that came to my home oh, wow. uh, were very polite. I did notice a lot of thank yous. <laughs> I uh, We probably had 15 kids. But they were all lovely, and uh, they all had uniforms on. Or what do you call it? Costume. Costume. Either one of you to have a little something-something for the uh, adults, the parents. Nope. I was at the ready, but uh, I didn't know anyone enough. No, you know why? Because the parents, they stand in the shadows in the distance. Yes. Yes. When I went around with those little heathens, I went right to the door with my cup. Shaking with the ice. (laughs) The cubes in it. Let's go. Making a little too much noise here. (laughs) You're kind of right. Most parents stand in the shadows. Yeah. One of us um, took his kids out. Sure. In the full-sized Siamese cat costume. Oh, you did oh, have no. the cat costume. Oh, yikes. <laughs> to which? How'd that go? Went, went to one home, and uh, the dad, of course, started to laugh. And there was a little kid looking at me and said, What's the matter, kid? Never seen a full-sized cat before? <laughs> <laughs> it was on Halloween where I was introduced years ago to uh, Jägermeister. Yeah. How'd that that was poured out? into my cup. Showed, I, I hope. Back. 
few times. Got you know, to that house. Keep you warm. What's that called yeah. again? Jägermeister. Right. The big one is Fireball now for the parents. I, I'm uh, I'm out of the game now right. in terms of taking little ones around. Sure. They're brought to me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And now to warm up, what do you... It's cocoa, right? A bee yeah. and a mosquito showed up last night. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. A skeeter? Yeah, she had the big skeeter nose. And, okay. <laughs> and, was looking uh, good? Yeah. How about your uh, your grandkids? Would they? What do you think I'm talking about, you moron? Oh, I thought you were talking about <laughs> the ones that were going trick or treat. <laughs> I have I, I, the the laptop story we had yesterday is interesting in so far as it tells us just how unhinged the uh, the bureaucratic class has become. They they treat they're treating the loss of millions of dollars of laptops. With with a very uh, inappropriate casualness, oh, you can fog I got a note from Shelley who writes: I couldn't help respond after hearing today's podcast and the Channel Nine report regarding the lost and stolen laptops in the school system. There are several issues with all of this. I would like to address first. Before the pandemic, my own kids attended private school. Cretan Durham Hall, to be exact. I was a recent remarried widow, mother of three, and worked two jobs to send them there. Once each arrived, I was told my child would be receiving a Chromebook for schoolwork, and we had to sign contracts that said, to put it mildly, these belong to the school, and any damage or failure to return to the school at the end of the year will cost us a certain amount of fixed price to replace. I was originally nervous allowing my child to carry this piece of technology in their backpacks back and forth since I'd seen how well they took care of their own stuff. But outside of having to replace the screen twice, at a cost of 100 bucks each time, three children made it through high school without further damaging their Chromebooks or losing them, thank God. I reminded them constantly to care for them and to keep them safe because they were expensive and would be costing both of us money if something dreadful were to happen to them. And I think that went a long way. When the pandemic began, many of my daycare children stayed here through the school year since schools were closed. I was surprised that all the school-agers in primary school and even the kindergartners received iPads and Chromebooks for school year. I thought to myself, I was worried about my high schoolers being careful, and here are five-year-olds getting these things. I was also surprised because there didn't seem to be any restrictions on the devices. Even with my kids' Chromebooks, there were restrictions on what sites it could open, and if I remember correctly, they had security devices on them because they were all the property of the school and everything done on them was only supposed to be school-related. Now my youngest attends another private school, Concordia Academy. They and a couple of others in the area frown on the whole Chromebook iPad usage. He is back to learning the way we did, textbooks and notebooks. Computers are used, but only at school, and they stay there. Their thought is that there is too much screen time already, and children will concentrate and learn better without them. Uh, It's really different uh, in three years, but I have to say I'm relieved my son, one of the biggest football players in the varsity team who cares for lunch and PE class more than English, isn't being held responsible for a piece of technology that I'm sure wouldn't make it a month in his backpack or football locker. Meanwhile, I feel like we are constantly being told kids shouldn't be in front of a screen with all the damage it can do, yet public schools are handing them out. Without any accountability or responsibility to a five-year-old, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. 
When did financing Chromebooks and iPads become my problem as a taxpayer? Here, here, lady. If the uh, schools want to make the parents hold some accountability, we are already paying for free breakfast and lunch, now Chromebooks and iPads. I'm sorry, but I'm tapped out. If schools need more funding, they may have to do fundraisers like private schools do. This sounds like mismanaging money at its finest. It is. But like I believe Reavers mentioned, it's easy to run uh, it's easy to run a business when you have an endless supply of revenue. Mm-hmm. Maybe if the kids were back to using textbooks, school systems wouldn't have to worry about kids graduating without being able to read or write. Always pushing back while moving my son's 20-pound backpack off the kitchen table. Shelly, Gumption County's daycare lady. Okay. Thanks, Shelly. Well, she she obviously is, is uh, echoing what every parent in St. Paul should be saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, one more from Chris. I'm a former Gump- I'm a former county probation officer who worked primarily with youth offenders. I can confirm in my experiences, students were assigned laptops from their respective school, and it was not uncommon for some students to turn around and sell their school-issued laptops. Not surprisingly, many of these youth were already on probation for separate offenses. It was an easy way for these kids to make a quick buck and to avoid participating in their education, essentially without educational consequences, as many people were as many students were given free passes during the pandemic as education became so incredibly difficult to be conducted on a remote basis. Very sad, and the educational system has set back many years due to these school shutdowns. And I will thus conclude the laptop topic. Well, not just St. Paul, though. I'll uh, be a mansplainer again. It's um, everywhere. Yeah, it's all over the Twin Cities. Minneapolis, Anoka, Hennepin, uh, Apple Valley, Egan, Rosemont. Yep, yep. One other uh, Chromebook note, if I could. Yes, John. I, I would. I would guess the school boards are spending way too much money too, uh, because I have the picture you see of me there is a Chromebook that cost me one hundred eighty nine dollars five years ago. What picture? The the one on the <laughs> my screen. Video. Uh, me. Hi. Hi, Joe. <laughs> Oh, you're, you're using that, a Chromebook. A Chromebook that costs 189 bucks. Now you can get them up to five, six hundred bucks. Right. I'll bet the school is using ones that cost six hundred dollars. I'm just going to guess when you could get one. But Not, you, you bought yours. Yours was hot from some meth ad down no, the street. No, it was at Costco. Okay. <laughs> okay. All Costco. right. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Just wanting to clarify. <laughs> just gotta make sure. I bought it from a student. Why? <laughs> You'll recall the piece I read by Konstantin Kizden. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Did you have a takeaway from another speech you would like to play? I would have liked a bit of a heads well, up. You don't, yeah. I mean, I'll give you a heads That's up. That's okay. Yeah, right. I, I can go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I've been listening to a lot of him. Uh, one of my sisters emailed me and she said she'd been a fan of his for years. He's a Russian immigrant to, to the U.K., very sharp thinker, very sharp thinker. And I heard him yesterday say something that I'm going to say because I believe him. Uh, people were in trouble. He didn't say that. He didn't have to. Okay. The barbarians are no longer at the door in this country. They're in. They're inside. That's spooky. I've got a number of examples. Uh, we've had examples Almost on a daily basis. Uh, tell me when you're ready, Chris. Uh, I can be ready here in just a moment. Well, that doesn't help me. Yep. I don't know I'm what a moment 59. means. 59. Uh, 
that's not the moral of the story. <laughs> the moral of the story is the history of our civilization was not made by people who always got everything right. It was made by people who'd made mistakes too. It was made by people who dared to believe that they could solve the problems they faced. The story of the West is a story of audacity. The big debates of the last decade, the culture war, the polarization, are about one thing and one thing only, the future. There are people like us in this room who believe that our future is to be prosperous, powerful, and influential. We are the majority. But there are also some people whose brains have been broken by an excess of education, who believe that our history is evil, that we do not deserve to be great, we do not deserve to be powerful, that we must be punished for the sins of our ancestors. To them, our past is abominable, our present must be spent apologizing, and our future is managed decline. My message to those people is simple. How dare you? You will not steal my son's dreams with your empty words. Uh, a number of times in that speech, uh, he took very beautiful, subtle shots at Greta Thunberg. You know, how dare you? Mm -hmm. uh, he's more optimistic than I am. Hmm. He believes that the majority of us want a prosperous future with ways that we've been accustomed to. Uh, I think the barbarians are here, and they are bent on destruction. They really are bent on destruction. Uh, we're seeing it every day. I have a story that I verified. Uh, where is this from? I printed it out. It's on a number of sites. You won't find it in the Star Tribune or the Pioneer Press. Okay. Uh, a Minneapolis public school teacher called for the eradication of the Jewish state during an event commemorating past socialist revolutions, stating that she does not com uh, support a complete ceasefire in Israel because she only wants one side to stop fighting. Her name is Meredith Abby Dash Kirstead. She's a social studies teacher at Kennedy High School. Oh. An educator, you say. Nice. She's a barbarian who's inside the gates. She spoke at an October 21 Freedom Road Socialist Organization panel, which aimed to contrast China's socialist policies to the imperialist agenda of the United States. During her speech, Abby Kirstead steered away the conversation from China opting instead to praise the winds of Palestinian freedom fighters and advocate for terrorism against Israelis. When I hear people calling for a complete ceasefire, I think, no, that's not quite right, Abby Dash Kirstead said, because we only want one side to stop fighting. The social studies teacher went on to chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, a rallying cry for the Jewish state's destruction. Hmm. She's teaching kids social studies in Bloomington. <sighs> Abby Dash Kirstead's support for Hamas ongoing attacks against the Jewish state shows that American K-12 schools are not immune from the anti-Israel and anti-Semitic rhetoric exploding on college campuses following the terror group's October 7 assault. Abby Dash Kirstead, who has worked as a Bloomington public schools teacher since 1997, is an active member of a number of far-wing activist groups, 
including the Freedom Road Socialist Organization's Twin Cities chapter. Please look that up, somebody. Freedom Road Socialist Organization. And the anti-war committee. Last week, both the public school teacher and her 14-year-old daughter were arrested for trespassing at an anti-Israel rally held at Representative Betty McCollum's office. The St. Paul Police Department confirmed that. Abby Dash-Kirstead and other rally goers said they would not leave until they got to speak with the representative about her silence on the loss of Palestinian lives. Abby Dash-Kirstead has also served as spokeswoman of the Anti-War Committee, a Minneapolis-based group that says its main campaign is to end USAID to Israel. In 2015, she helped the committee organize a protest that saw anti-Israel demonstrators shut down a Jewish professor during a lecture at the U of M. I just can't stand by and watch the university hire a war crimes apologist to come and speak here the public school teacher told the school's campus newspaper. In 2010, meanwhile, the FBI raided the homes of Abby Dash-Kirstead and other anti-war committee and Freedom Road Socialist Organization activists as part of a terrorism investigation. The committee refused to cooperate with the investigation, and the FBI went on to rescind subpoenas issued to Abby Dash-Kirstead and other committee members. Abby Dash-Kirstead told the Worldwide Socialist website that investigators were seeking her testimony about meetings she held with activists in Colombia and Palestine, and unsealed court documents later alleged that two Freedom Road Socialist Organization members told an uncover FBI informant that they raised money for terrorist groups in two countries. Neither Abby Dash-Kirstead nor Kennedy High School returned requests for comment. Abby Dash-Kirstead's pro-Hamas speech at the October 21 panel was revealed by the Freedom Road Socialist Organization's blog, Fight Back News. That blog in 2015 expressed support for convicted Palestinian terrorist Razmia O'Day, who was involved in the 1969 bombing of a Jerusalem supermarket. The Freedom? I'm not ready for that. Oh, okay. The organization itself works to create a new communist party based on Marxism-Leninism and on October 9th praised the Hamas attack on Israel as a good turn of events. Abby Dash-Kirstead's arrest outside McCollum's office was not her first run-in with Minnesota police. The public school teacher was twice convicted of criminal trespass in 2002 and 2010, Court filings reviewed by the Washington Free Beacon show. This is a Free Beacon piece, verified by a number of other sites. Those changes do not bar her from teaching in Bloomington Public Schools, as the district only considers felonies and child-related misdemeanors to be disqualifying offenses for prospective oh. teachers. Okay. The Freedom wow. Road Socialist Rook are who? They are... A Marxist-Leninist organization in the U.S. formed in 85 amid the collapse of the Maoist-oriented oriented new communist movement that emerged in the 70s. FRSO's component groups believe that ultra-leftism was the new U, uh, U.S. new communist movement's main error. Merging under the FRSO banner, these groups hope to consolidate the movement remnants in a single organization and move beyond sectarianism that marked the previous decades. 
So they're just basically far left. Um, they're the Democratic Socialists of America who just come flat out and say we're commies. Right. And if you want to contact their uh, national office, mm-hmm. it has a 612 number. Does it really? <laughs> does it really? Jeez. It does. There is a piece on this teacher at Canary Mission. I go there on occasion. It's a website that uh, tries to uh, showcase anti-Semitism in the U.S., etc. Mm-hmm. There's a long piece on her uh, mm-hmm. and even more lunatic uh, things you will find out if you read that. It's canarymission.org. The barbarians are inside the house. They're inside the schools. They're inside governments. They're inside city councils. They're inside unions. They're inside businesses and manufacturers. The barbarians are inside us. They are inside the United States. And despite the optimism of Constantine, optimism, uh, when I look around what's happening in the Twin Cities, I don't see them losing. I'm not ready to proclaim victory on their behalf. I'll come back to the Star Tribune's editorials today in just a moment. I am not ready to provide victory on their behalf, but I am ready to provide or to insist that they're gaining. The barbarians have long since gotten through the gate. And when we started talking about the mystery many, many years ago, I never thought I would see it, much less see it happen this quickly. Can I tell you some good news? Please. Boy, I hope so. Guess who's going to sponsor our town council meeting at Tattersall Brewery? Who, Joe? Precision Garage Door. Fantastic. Precision Garage Door of the Twin Cities in western Wisconsin. They're going to be uh, sponsoring our town council meeting. Nice. And that's November 15th. Mm-hmm. It's out in... Uh, River Falls, River Wisconsin, Falls, Wisconsin at Tattersall. And uh, Good. Uh, Precision Garage Door of the Twin Cities serves the metro in western Wisconsin. They're the best in the business, attested to by their five-star Google ratings. They fix everything up to and including brand-new doors. Get that tune-up before winter. You don't want your door to break when it's 20 below and you have to open it manually. They do everything from the openers to the rollers to the springs to new doors. They're GLer-owned. And you get the whole family. You get the whole GL family. They fix uh, garage doors correctly. They keep you informed all during the work. Find them at 612-263-6985 or precisiondoormn.com. Logic Town Council member. Here's what you're missing. No, it's unfortunate that uh, Mark was told by his parents that he was allergic to beer and he would break out in hives if he had beer. Oh, no. So he didn't. But as any good group of friends, what did we make him do? Drink the beer. And well, then he broke out with hives. <laughs> well, that doesn't include whiskey, though, right? Uh, we weren't that advanced yet. Can I ask you something? Yep. How much can you get if you rob a theater like the Grandview? It was all cash. hundred bucks? No, it was all cash back then. Oh, on a Friday or Saturday back then? Yeah, there yes. was. They, they ain't no Netflix credit. back now then, Now they take bro. credit cards, but back then it was 
cash money. I'm going to need all that? Yeah. Go behind the scenes of Garage Logic with unfiltered audio and video access, invites to exclusive events, an emailed newsletter from the mayor himself, and more by signing up at garagelogic.com. Why bleed? Why do you not cut me? Something? (laughs) It's the end of the world as we know it, and he feels fine. Joe Souchere. All right, is anybody on the staff fired up the blower yet? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody at all? I have not, but I have no fear, Kenny, because I treated her last spring with the miracle juice. Yeah, you, you won't have any issues, Matthew. Uh, I did uh, two days ago, or uh, last Sunday. This was the blower that you gave me, Echo. Still working. And it just Wait fired right up. I gave you an Echo leaf leaf blower. Yeah. Yeah. Which, what do you? I don't know what you're doing for a snow blower. He wasn't oh. talking about. Oh, I thought he was talking blowers. about the leaf blowers. No. <laughs> well, mine started her right up. Good. You can blow the snow and the leaf. Yeah. Uh, that's something you can. Uh, never mind. Yeah. Uh, so I was uh, reminded. Seafoam. I remembered a letter, uh, an email that Ben sent last winter. Uh, he sent it to all of us. His trusty Toro wouldn't stay running. He doused it with a can of sea foam, let her sit for 24 hours. The next day, he went out and started it. Ran perfectly, perfectly. It works miracles. It saved him from a trip for, to the shop. He's really appreciative of uh, sea foam and, uh, well, Here's me, you know, here's truly. Uh, and, and that's really all you need to know, what Joe said. And I don't care if it's a snowblower or a leaf blower. Seafoam uh, is the answer. Give all of your cylinders an extra gulp, especially the ones that haven't run for a few months. Let those cilib- cylinders celebrate the season, the snow. Here it comes. You can find this stuff everywhere. A local company, a global reach, and a true miracle in the world of icky old stale gas Seafoam. You mentioned the um, second annual town council member meeting. At this Tattersall. is going to be an actual town council meeting. That's right. And so it's gonna, come prepared with your questions. It's going to happen Wednesday, November 15th from 5 to 7 at Tattersall and River Falls. You can join the GL crew and fellow town council members beginning at 5 for a social hour with appetizers and a special podcast beginning at 6 p.m. This event is only open to town council members, and you must RSVP online right now at garagelogic.com. It's brought to you by Precision Garage Door of the Twin Cities and Western Wisconsin. I was in a meeting this morning. Everyone in attendance at the town council meeting is going to get a garage logic map. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. The ones that we were ha- that we had at the fair, they will really? be they will be there and be dis- 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 distributed, distributed accordingly to every person in attendance. So, huh. there you go. Maybe if you were on the fence about signing up, now you've got an added incentive. So, garagelogic.com. And I'm also hearing that uh, Such will be sticking around for 90 minutes to two hours afterwards, <laughs> signing yeah. every single one of those maps. Whatever you need. No, he won't. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I heard. That's all I'm saying. His sources are saying. If you are a GLer and you live in Bloomington and you have a kid at Bloomington Kennedy High School and your kid has as a... Uh, social studies teacher, Meredith Abbey-Kirstead, are you going to do anything about it? Are, are, are your hackles raised? Do you, do you find this disconcerting? She sounds like a very hateful, hateful woman. John has been doing some reading off air, and you can find nothing terribly 
uh, praiseworthy to say about this woman, can you? No, not not in my eyes anyway. No. Uh, she's at Bloomington Kennedy, and she can retain her job. She hasn't committed any felonies that we know of. And you might wonder, well, how can this be? And I have another accompanying piece. I think Kelsey might have alerted me to this one. Uh, the, emergencing, the emerging alliance. Remember, the barbarians are through the gate. They're in. Now what are we going to do? The emerging alliance between America's leading socialist organizations and teachers' unions. Five years ago, the Democratic Socialists of America declared that infiltrating teachers' unions would be a prime way for socialists to boost the far-left movement's power in numbers. The strategic decision appears to be paying off with unions across the country adopting some of the radical political group's top initiatives. Let me stop right there. You'll remember that the head of the Minneapolis Public Teachers Union said this is all about Mm anti-capitalism when the teachers were on strike. She has a very Irish name, and maybe you could find it for me, Rook. The DSA, the nation's largest socialist organization, made the pitch in a 2018 pamphlet titled Why Socialists Should Become Teachers. It argues that socialists should take jobs as teachers and other school-based workers for the political, economic, and social potential the industry holds. Was it Greta Callahan? Yes. The decision to get in the education industry, the pamphlet says, is a strategic route to toppling the capitalist economy. They're, they're admitting this, people. They're barbarians. They are admitting this is what they wish to do. Two endorsed for the city council in St. Paul, five in Minneapolis. We'll get to that in a moment. They're admitting it. This is not me telling you this or making it up out of some dark cavern of right-wing talk radio. I'm about as centrist as you can find in the world. But I like this country, if not love it. And this country's disappearing. The barbarians are here. While teachers don't make a product that is sold on the market, we are necessary in the reproduction of a capitalist economy and the perpetuation of classes, according to the pamphlet, which was written by West Virginia socialists after teachers in the state went on strike. It is teachers who train both socially and technically the workers of the future. What possibly can Meredith Abbey Dash Kierstead be teaching her social studies students? The wrong... Way to be. There is a growing national network of educators in DSA working to transform our schools, our unions, and our society, the pamphlet said. The pamphlet comes as the socialist group's ranks swelled amid anti-Donald Trump fervor. The group's sprawling platform demands an end to capitalism, an end to prisons, an end to the five-day work week. And the state recognition of the gender binary along with enshrining social ownership of all major industry and infrastructure, energy production, and wealth redistribution. Since the 2018 directive, the DSA through its local and regional chapters has worked with teachers unions across the country to push left-wing initiatives that are unrelated to education, including reparations for black students and affordable housing developments on school property. DSA members have been elected to lead two major unions in L.A. and Boston, and the group's national youth branch, they sound like maybe young brown shirts, 
the Young Democratic Socialists of America held its national conference this year in Chicago at the union headquarters. Socialists who count themselves as members of the organization are winning school board seats around the country. The organization's efforts have gone largely unnoticed by the public. Hmm. The DSA is leveraging the education process to advance its unpopular agenda, said Reen Staley, a researcher for Parents Demanding Education, who has tracked the trend and noted the socialist push comes as students across the country are struggling to read and write. Isn't that the great irony? Yeah. The DSA brands itself as a decentralized political and activist organization and boasts more than 92,000 members, more than a tenfold increase since Trump's election. They only had 8,000 Democratic Socialists in 2016. Uh, the Trumper really inspired them, apparently. Thanks, Donald. Mm -hmm. The barbarians are here. Uh, What's their next move? Just keep slowly and quietly pushing forward? Yes. Well, not quietly. Teachers have gone on strike across the country to demand DSA agenda items such as paying reparations, defunding police, building subsidized housing, teaching climate literacy through a racial justice lens, buying electric buses, and instructing students about structural racism. In California cities, teachers have gone on strike to demand that district leaders fulfill DSA agenda items. Look, uh, look, look up uh, the DSA Minneapolis chapter. I just might have a question or two about it in a moment. In California cities, teachers have gone on strike to demand that district leaders fulfill DSA agenda items. The United Teachers of Los Angeles shut down classrooms for days last March over a platform crafted from the DSA's Green New Deal for public schools. Their asks included more campus solar panels and a climate literacy course. Apparently they're all, they all have hyphenated names. The union president, Cicely Maillard-Cruz, is a DSA member. Oakland uh, organized a teacher strike for common goods such as reparations, DSA-driven. Do you think the emphasis on social studies over history is a, a problem in high schools? I'm looking at the curric curriculum of Kennedy High School. Okay. And uh, I noticed they do have a history of the United States and they have world history, but I was reading about their social studies course mm -hmm. and the description is um, students in this course will enhance their knowledge of the United States history from the establishment of colonies through the ratification of the Constitution. They will develop an understanding of how political concepts impact civic life, society, politics, economics, and government and how their decisions, decision-making roles as citizens can impact public policy. And you can see how much room that gives somebody like Meredith Abby-Kirstead to put her spin on those kinds of developments. 
Thank you. That's that's what I was hoping you would say. I mean, those students can't possibly be hearing anything positive about this country from this woman. They just can't. It's not in her genetic code. She's a hater. She hates people. She hates this country. How can I not come? Uh, how can I not arrive at that conclusion? Do you remember? How does she cash her paycheck with a straight face? Do you remember the scene in Dazed and Confused where the final bell rings and they're in the history class and the teacher reminds the kids um, that I think it was regarding the Boston Tea Party, right? It was because a bunch of blah, 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 imperialists, uh, blah, 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 through didn't want to pay their taxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's been happening for a long time. And in a lot of schools, I've been given to understand that uh, social studies has just replaced U.S. history. Yeah, it's getting to be a long time for me. I I don't even recall having social studies as a class. Did they have it at Creighton? Yes. I don't recall it. I, if we did, I just don't remember it. But it was it was more history than it was. Yeah, see, if it, for me, it was social studies. If it would have been history, I would have been far more interested. I think back then, Joe, they... Well, no, I'm I had uh, one room school. Yeah, slate board. We called it the present. We learned quite a bit about the Civil War. Of course, the it just present. ended five years previously. I wasn't going to go there. Well, the problem with history is everybody teaches it with a bunch of dates, and they make it just as boring as possible. They, you know, they don't put any human faces or uh, human interaction or human interest in history. My freshman high school history teacher was a guy named Ward Schuster, and I remember that because I was in Schuster's class when Brother Lewis came over the loudspeaker to say that Kennedy had been shot in Dallas. Hmm. You were in high school then? Yes. I was in first grade. <laughs> Sorry. I was, I was I, born. Yeah, that's right, Joe. First grade. That you were in one, first grade. One. First grade. Well, my, uh, Does the local DSA chapter blatantly tout their anti-capitalist views, or are they uh, hiding that? Let's see. When you go to TwinCitiesDSA.org, about us, community agreements, grievance process, leadership and structure. Maybe let's go to the leadership and structure. No. Go to platform. Go to what we stand for. Go to... Uh, about us. About us. Maybe. Right. And then you drop down there, community agreements. Let's just see what they got. No, it wouldn't be a community we're, agreement. Well, Rick's looking. I can tell you, I went to the Young Democratic Socialists of America's platform. Mm -hmm. First thing on their platform, working to build a fighting democratic labor movement capable of shifting power from the capitalists to the working class. All right. First thing on their platform. We ground ourselves in the fact that anti-capitalism demands anti-racism. Seek to eliminate and remedy racist oppression created maintain, and maintained by the white settlers that undermines working class and community solidarity. All right. We, that, that's good enough for me. They're anti-capitalist. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Even I think that's lunacy. And you, you guys know me. <laughs> yeah. Hell, we're converting John. Well, you're not converting me. I've never changed. Right, it's I just, get. I know. This is so far to the outside. It's uh, like, Chris, I'm not ready to take a break. All right, just just <laughs> informing you of what time it is. Because I have to tell Noted. you, I have to tell you that if you now turn to today's Star Tribune, a newspaper I'm increasingly disappointed in, <laughs> uh, 
they have their final picture in for St. Paul City Council seats. And in the 6th Ward, they, of course, endorse Nelsie Yang. Let me just cut to the uh, chase. Let me find it here. Yang has been engaged and this is St. Paul, productive representative for her ward. She worked for the city's $15 minimum wage requirement and earned sick and safe time for workers. She is a self-described racial equity organizer and wants to build a society free of systems of oppression, to which I would submit to you that would include capitalism. Systems of oppression, bigotry, white supremacy, racism, and discrimination. Young has been endorsed by the DFL and Democratic Socialists of America, as well as numerous other progressive groups and labor organizations. Nelsie Yang is an enemy of the America that GLers know. She is a flat-out enemy. Now, here's the unfortunate part. Her opponent in the race is Gary B. Unger, the sole challenger for Nelsie Yang's seat. He's a retired longtime 3M employee who describes himself as a lifelong East Sider who has been active in city groups for 50 years. He's running because he believes leadership for his community has gotten off track and strayed from the values of the neighborhood. Unger told editorial writers that his major concern is funding for police and other first responders. He opposes the 1% sales tax increase proposal and wants to see greater city focus on bread and butter issues such as fixing roads and maintaining buildings. Sounds like a solid guy, doesn't he? Yes. The uh-huh. last line of the Star Tribune's piece on Nelsie Yang is, Unger does not appear to have run an active campaign. Another John Strominger situation. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. These people, these barbarians, are winning by default. They run for office. They run hard and they run thoroughly. They're active. They're competent. They're successful. They're winning. Unger would be a great candidate, but apparently he isn't taking this seriously. And that's why the barbarians are in the house. Absolutely. Now we come to their endorsement for the seventh ward, Chaniqua Johnson. That would be the ward being now uh, uh, Jane Prince, God lover, is stepping down. Six people are, repl- are vying to replace her. Uh, and five of those six would be new to elected office. Chanika, Chaniqua Johnson uh, is endorsed by the DFL and labor organizations. It doesn't say that she's endorsed by the DSA, uh, but the DFL is, is bad enough. Uh, Many people think the DFL and the DSA have what they call shared values. They don't have values. They have an agenda. Their agenda is to bring uh, upon a kind of destructive force that upends capitalism and Western civilization and reinvents it as a Marxist-Leninist communist country. It's all being told to us. It's all right in front of us. Now, there are other candidates running for uh, Jane Prince's seat. Uh, Pa Der Vang, St. Catherine's University Social Work Associate Professor. Uh, Okay. 
but she wants efficient use of tax dollars. Good for her. Vang is endorsed by Prince, as well as the St. Paul Chamber of Commerce and the St. Paul Historic Preservation Political Community. So if you're in the 7th Ward, that's the east side of St. Paul, parts of the east side, there's your candidate, Pa Dur Vang, not, not Chaniqua Johnson, who the Star Tribune recommends. I'm not sure the Star Tribune knows what they're doing. Huh. Either that or they do wow. know what they're doing. Maybe. Uh, Fua Chawa Kang, county and, county and community liaison for a healthcare company, is is she's concerned about potholes and puppies. Oh, puppies? What's wrong with puppies? Uh, she says the city needs to attend to basic services such as repairing, plowing, and maintaining its streets. And because she said she and others in her neighborhood have been attacked by dogs, residents must keep their pets under control. <laughs> wow. Okay. Candidates Alexander Bourne, a photographer, and Kartumu King, founder of a group called Accountable Cultural Brokers, did not participate in our interview process. Neither did candidate Dino Guerin. I know Dino. He's a retired firefighter who works for the Ramsey County Sheriff's Office and formerly served on the City Council and Ramsey County Board. But the Star Tribune gives its nod. Uh, fortunately, giving their nod to someone in St. Paul won't mean a great deal. But they give their nod to Chaniqua Johnson, who's uh, not the answer. Uh, so far, just based on this, Pa Der Vang is the best answer. Mm. I don't know how you, you can't, you've got to have a field day with this, the center of the American Experiment Golden Turkey Awards. You get a big award. I think you get a golden turkey. Nice. Made out of real gold. Mm. Wow. I don't, I'm not sure wow. about that. I'm not sure Sign about up. that. <laughs> It's to celebrate, not celebrate, it's to highlight Minnesota's government waste of money, public money. Each year, the Center of the American Experiment gives out the Golden Turkey Award to the best waste of money, and they're accepting nominations now. If you have an example of ridiculous spending by Minnesota government, go to AmericanExperiment.org slash Golden Turkey. The Center of the American Experiment, whose website you should check every day, will be naming the finalists on October 30. And the winner of the 2024 Golden Turkey Award will be announced on this show. Come on. Right here, November 22nd. If you have an example of ridiculous spending in Minnesota's government, go to AmericanExperiment.org slash Golden Turkey. God help us. You cannot stop him. He'll just make a move. Joe Sabre's tape, Larry. When you're yeah. looking to yeah. upgrade your home plate, call my friends at <laughs> Hofferman Water and upgrade that rotten. Set it there. <laughs> right. Set right there in there. the corner. Just put it there. You're going to upgrade your water. And you know what? Everyone inside of your home is going to be happier that you decided to do just that. Get on the schedule right now. 
and have them come out for that free water analysis today. 952-894-4040 and get on that schedule. You can also visit their website, which is, of course, HoffermanWater.com. Listen, bad water can affect almost every aspect of your home, so protect that investment and get on the schedule. Hofferman Water has been proudly serving the state of Minnesota for over 50 years. Please do me a favor. When you call for that free water analysis, make sure you let them know that you heard about here on the Garage Logic podcast. John Height. Thank you, Joe. This news brought to you by North American Banking Company. Uh, and Kenny, just to verify what you said off air here. No. Uh, there's not, no, no, it's not that. Oh. There's, you're right. There's nothing but, I went to Yelp, nothing but bar food. You're right. That's all, all you can get there. Oh, where he lives, you be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, all there is. I, not there's not even a red lobster around. Wait a minute, here. wait a minute, wait a minute, John. Did you uh, just FYI Kenny on his own yeah. neighborhood? Well, I, yeah. I thought I, being skeptical as I am. No, I he was gonna he was gonna help me out. Oh, find look for something. a recommendation. I, gotcha. I can't get chicken chow mein. I can't get pizza delivered. Oh, and no, there's no Vietnamese food. That's hey. what I like about Kenny. He's always looking at the positives. Thanks, right. Kenny. Right, food. I appreciate it. GLers, if you'd like to deliver Kenny some food, why don't you? <laughs> How about a little newscast? Okay, let's go to the news now. President Joe Biden scheduled to make a stop this afternoon in Minnesota. First stop of a nationwide tour that'll last two weeks. He'll be visiting a family farm in Northfield to highlight government spending in rural America. According to the White House, the president will be joined by Secretary of Ag Tim Vilsack on his trip to Dutch Creek Farms. That'll be used as a backdrop to formally announce over $5 billion in new investments into rural America in hopes of emphasizing to families that they don't have to leave their hometowns to search for better opportunities unless they want food. The White House says various bills have helped improve high-speed internet and bring safer roads, bridges, reliable energy, clean drinking water into rural communities. Uh, all of this, of course, comes a week after Minnesota Representative Dean Phillips announced he's entered the presidential race to run against Biden in Democratic primaries. But the Biden administration says uh, it's just coincidence. They said the trip was planned well before Phillips announced his run. When the does White the House. president arrive, John? <laughs> Uh, he is uh, this. It's uh, this afternoon is the only thing I saw. Kenny, is there a lot of traffic w alerts because of this? Um, um, don't bother me with that. I'm looking up Dutch Creek Farm. I want to find out what kind of anti-American would invite this uh, president onto their farm. I'm glad oh, you wow. mentioned that, Kenny. Because doing I some research, I here. found it interesting that we gave up the location for a president's arrival. That's not normal, is well, it? Well, we, yeah, we, we know where they're going. Yeah, that was just like when they would go out to when I was part of the He'll motorcade. In, he's going to be in very friendly territory, very welcoming. I will say, let's insider, be welcoming. It's the president. Well, no, that's not what I meant. I just meant from a security standpoint. Is I didn't know that, that was. No, they always tell the destination, Chris, where oh, they're going to okay. end up. Okay. I, I'm guessing they never tell the route. Can they put on their best that. clothes today? Um, shut down the airport half an hour before the Kluver after he leaves. The Kluver family finishes hogs as well as raises corn and soybeans. Um, that's all I'm seeing So he's seeing promoting about farm. That's right, Matt. He's making a rural tour. Yes. In, uh, in other news, it Wait, was another note. I will oh, give I'm you sorry, inside right? information yeah. uh -huh. that members of IHS, Innovative Handling Solutions, was my employer, we get to service the Air Force One if needed. Huh. If oh. they need... Ice, if they need to clean the labs, whatever they were part of that. You hear that, America? The president's security's in the hands of rookies. Right here. That's what it <laughs> You know what? 
That's what an yeah. honest to God comes down to. Yeah. The safety of the President of the United States is in your hands. If he needs toilet paper, well, the guy. Um, hey Joe, you need paper? Okay, coming up. It, in this case, uh, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay with me in this case. Yeah. <laughs> you guys. Remember when you said a while ago you're starting to turn me? Nah, not at all. Anyway, it yeah. was another uh, no-go. Wait a second, John. To answer your yeah. initial question, Joe, um, the cameras are all still on, so... When did you say he was going to be here? We don't know. 30, I thought he was. Yeah, I thought it was a little after one. Yeah. Yeah. Is he on time? I have no idea. (laughs) No, I mean, generally. You mean, has he been uh, uh, throughout his presidency? Correct. I haven't paid attention. Uh, I think I haven't heard any complaints. Okay. It was another no-go for a proposed future home of Minneapolis's third police precinct Mother yesterday. of God, you screwed up adult children. You are just so stupid and can't. You're just... <laughs> Mayor Jacob Fry's third site endorsement of former office and warehouse building at 2633 Minnehaha Avenue failed a vote of Minneapolis City Council's Committee of the Whole. With Ward 12 Council Member Andrew Johnson absent, the votes were split 6-6. Six to six. Now, there will be another chance this week for Mayor Fry's proposal in front of the full City Council on Thursday following committee approval to forward it for further discussion and a vote. Ward 11 Council Member Emily Kosky, who brought the motion in mid-October that delayed the vote until Tuesday, voted in favor of buying the building at 2633. She said it's the cheapest and quickest option. She added, if we then proceeded with the decision last cycle, this option that you have brought forward to us today may never have been reconsidered. Whew. Latricia Vita, your girl, Joe, said if it's fiscally responsible, I am with it. So uh, looks like you have a building on the corner of Lake and what is it, Hiawatha or Minnehaha? Whatever. You have a building there. Uh, what about five mil into it, you're done. It's Minnehaha. Minnehaha. It, this yeah. is pathetic. This is how many millions are we spending to house people from Ecuador? A lot. Millions and millions of dollars. Now we have an influx of Ecuadorians. Uh, and we're Sent spending, here from New York. Yeah, spending millions and millions of dollars on the illegal immigrants from Ecuador. It, you, you'd spend a fraction of that to fix up the precinct building you already have. If you see an emergency vehicle pulled over on the side of the road, Minnesota law previously required that you move over or slow down. Now, a change in the law will apply to all vehicles on the side of the road now. The move over law was created decades ago in honor of State Trooper Ted Foss, who was hit by a vehicle and killed during a traffic stop. Minnesota lawmakers decided to change the law this year to make it safer for anyone who pulls over. The new version of the law reads that if you're driving on a road with two or more lanes going in the same direction and you see a vehicle with flashing lights on the shoulder, you should move over a lane. If it's not safe to do so, you should slow down. Lieutenant Jill Frankfurth with the State Patrol said it's really just common sense. If you're outside your vehicle or you're stalled, you want people to move over and slow down. The Department of Public Safety says the State Patrol has issued 659 citations and warnings for people failing to move over since 2020. Those fines can exceed $100. For the life of me, I don't know why that wasn't included in the initial bill. I find myself doing that anyway, almost automatically. Actually, most most people do, Yeah. yeah. From the Star Tribune, the Minnesota Supreme Court tomorrow will publicly discuss a pivotal political question that's on a course to the U.S. Supreme Court. That question... 
does the insurrection clause of the U.S. Constitution disqualify former President Trump from the 2024 ballot? Oral arguments on an attempt to bar Trump from the Minnesota ballot take place at 10 in the morning at the Minnesota Judicial Center. A similar case is pending in Colorado, and legal experts predict more petitions in additional states will happen, relying on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The insurrection clause prohibits former officers from holding office again if they've, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion or given aid or comfort to those who did. The petitioners are led by the nonprofit Free Speech for People, former Secretary of State Joan Groh, and former Supreme Court Justice Paul Anderson. Their attorney, Ronald Fine, presenting first on Thursday, will have 35 minutes to argue that Trump is disqualified. The petition asks the court to issue an extraordinary order directing Secretary of State Steve Simon to exclude Trump from the primary ballot on March 5th, 2024, and from the November 5th presidential ballot. How awesome would it be if one of the neighbors down at Dutch Creek Farm chose today as the day to spread liquid manure? <laughs> oh, oh, my God, yeah, that, that would, would be, be so awesome. How about if it was the day they had their own Christmas tree light prank? Um, I didn't get that one. Missing. Yeah. Uh, Swing and a miss. Yeah. <laughs> this, is this on? No, we, Try, had it off. Uh, we had it off. Again. <laughs> <laughs> liquid manure. Yeah, I've had that sprayed uh, on me. It's not fun. I thought that no. was pig poop. Well, same thing, isn't yeah. it? You, you need the poop protector. Yeah, I yeah. had one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, on, uh, on that note, why don't we take a short break here, I think. What do you want from me, uh, I need to hear from the fine folks at Minnesota Masonic Charities, Rookie. Minnesota Masonic Charities. I'm going to tell you about them, but I'm going to tell you a little story that uh, was just conveyed to me very recently. In fact, yesterday. My that good friend recent. John from Minnesota Masonic Charities. Uh, two worlds collided the other day as Mueller Mortuary and Minnesota Masonic Charities came together. I was attending a service and my dad introduced me to Scott Mueller. My dad was an altar boy at Sacred Heart in the 50s and would do funerals with Al Mueller. Yeah, Mr. Al was part of the generation of Mueller mortuary. Yes, Mr. Mueller would always give the altar boys a tip for their efforts. My dad introduced me to Scott and told him I was a fellow Garage Logic advertiser. When I told him I was with Minnesota Masonic Charities, he shook my hand and placed his index finger on my wrist. He takes your pulse. And said he had his own secret handshake. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's the same handshake he presents to Mr. Souchere uh, to determine his wellness or lack thereof. Yep. I guess the Masons aren't the only ones with secret handshakes. Well, that is true, Johnny, and uh, the secret handshake secret is out because they're an open book. You go to minnesotamasoniccharities.org, mnmasoniccharities.org, you will learn all about the great things that they do through scholarships. Our guy Skelly right now is... Uh, is uh, what do you call it? infirmed? What I do don't call know what you're sick? talking when about. When you're sick? You're ill. Okay, he's ill. Well, he's repairing at Minnesota Masonic. It's a wonderful, wonderful... What the hell happened to him? Uh, he had something wrong with his foot. Oh, okay. He just texted me. But see how they're all over? <laughs> see how they touch the lives of so many? That's the point, and that's the word they want to get out. If you'd like to learn more... Well, he wasn't ready for Mueller. No, no, okay. no, no, thank right. God. No, not that. He's more of like a fungus. I was just yeah. checking. We're going to build Mueller for this ad, too. Sorry, Skilly. MNMasonicCharities.org. <laughs> That's MNMasonicCharities.org. What, huh, huh, huh? Take and leave. 
Here's a man who spends hours in hardware stores, sifting through the nuts and bolts of life. Joe Souchere. Doesn't this bump sound like bumper music from about 1987? Not yes. bumper music, yes. ad music. Jazzercise. Something you put under, under an ad. Yeah, jazzercise. Yeah. If you drive down to, yeah. I got my anyway. leg warmers on, pulling them up do. to my knees. Yeah, no, my other news. Other news, a roundup of things related to the Israeli-Palestinian situation in the Mideast. An Israeli airstrike destroyed a refugee camp, killing dozens and wounding more than 100 people. The Israeli military said its attack on the Jabalia refugee camp, did I say refuge? Refugee camp in northern Gaza killed senior Hamas commander Ibrahim Biara, who they said was one of the architects of the October 7th terror attack in Israel. Meanwhile, Hamas official Ghazi Hamad told Lebanese news outlet LBCI, quote, Israel is a country that has no place on our land. We must remove that country. We must teach Israel a lesson, and we will do this again and again. The Al-Aqsa flood is just the first time. There will be a second, a third, and a fourth October 7th because we have the determination to fight. And here, terrorist threats against the U.S. reached a whole other level after the Hamas attack in Israel, according to FBI Director Christopher Wray. He was talking to Congress yesterday. He said the big players in terrorism have all renewed calls to attack America and its interests. He said the level of threats has heightened since President Biden took office, though U.S. law enforcement, he said, is better prepared to deal with them. Lawrence Fossett, the 58-year-old man who in September became the second person in history to get a genetically modified pig heart transplant at the University of Maryland Medical Center, died Monday after starting to show signs of organ rejection. Fossett, who was dying of heart disease when he got the transplant September 20th, lived for almost six weeks following the procedure. In the recent days, however, Fossett's heart began to show the initial signs of organ rejection. That's the biggest challenge to transplant patients, including those who get traditional transplants with human organs. Rejection happens when a patient's immune system attacks the transplanted organ or tissue. David Bennett was the first patient to get a transplanted pig heart. He died about two months after the January 2022 surgery from heart failure. Has anybody Sorry. lived a long life with a pig heart? No, these are the first two well, transplanters. What is the big obsession with trying to live? I don't understand that. <laughs> right, all that trouble. Seriously, all that trouble for six weeks. I yeah, I have a serious question about this. Did he have to pay? Did his insurance company paid a pay? Was this gratis? How did the money situation work? What? Here? Do you go ahead? Do you think maybe they just asked for volunteers, perhaps like they do with other medical? Yeah, situations? The, I can answer your question, Rook. What's what the good story six, on the pig? What, you go well, all that for six weeks. Right. Well, because 10 years from now, it'll be six years. Yeah. All right. What's the backstory on the pig? Pig didn't have a say in it. Okay. Uh, did he have one of those donor um, bracelets? The yes, pig? the pig did. Right. Uh, I had a breakfast this morning from a local establishment called the Matterhorn, stacked high with hash browns. Texas toast, Greer. Why are you doing this? And our homemade bacon and sausage gravy topped with two eggs. I had okay. three heart attacks in the middle of eating say, this yeah. thing. You're sweating it out. I was sweating. I laid down to take a nap, but then I freaked out thinking I'm going to wake up dead. So I just laid there for 45 <laughs> minutes with my eyes wide open. I'm going to wake up dead. Correct. Oh, you had me until you mentioned that, that it involved gravy. No, it's it's something called 
G-R-U-Y-E-R-E. Well, that's cheese. Grier. Grier. Oh, and the gravy, yeah, bacon and sausage gravy. I don't you have, do that. You don't do uh, bis- no. sausage biscuits? Oh, God, biscuits? help us. That's really? dreadful. I, I love gravy, but not with breakfast, sorry. I'm not a, a breakfast oh, gravy guy. You know, we had the other day, though, pancakes that I put that Harmony Spirit syrup on. Told you. Pretty good. You lay that on bacon and then bake the bacon at 400. Okay, Julia Child. It's candy bacon and it is to die for. Yeah. I cut myself. In other news, when Donald Trump became president in 2017, he handed day-to-day management of his real estate empire to his eldest sons, Donald Jr. and Eric. Now as the Trumps fight to keep the family business intact, the brothers are set to testify in the New York civil fraud case that trial that threatens the Trump organization's future. Uh, Don Jr. expected to testify today and Eric Trump tomorrow, kicking off a stretch as the trial in New York Attorney General Letitia James's lawsuit enters its second month. Uh, Donald Trump, the former president, family patriarch, and 2024 Republican frontrunner, is slated to testify on Monday, followed by his eldest daughter, ex-Trump organization executive and White House advisor Ivanka Trump, on November 8th. State lawyers are expected to rest their case after the Trumps testify, giving Trump's lawyers a chance to call their own witnesses in the back, sir. Is Ivanka married to Jared Kushner? Yes. That's correct. Ivanka is a very attractive woman. Not hard on the eyes. What is Kushner's source of wealth? We got two billion uh, from the Saudis. I- Ivanka, probably. <laughs> well, what what did what did he do for the Saudis? <laughs> we don't know. Because they got the nice spread in Florida. They're always pictured yeah, with the bought. kids and this and that and the other thing. Uh, he doesn't work for Don, though, does he? He does not. No. He's an American businessman, investor, and former government official. Yeah. Let's see where they had their family money. Um, real estate. For yeah. much of his career, he worked in real estate investor in New York City. All right. Thank Kushner you. Companies. Thank you. There and you he took over the company after his father, Charles Kushner, was convicted for 18 criminal charges, including oh. illegal campaign contributions, tax evasion, and witness tampering in 2005. Wasn't there a Kushner and the Grateful Dead or uh, one of those bands, those no. hippie bands? Although no. Charles was controversially pardoned by Trump in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You can't make it up, seriously. Weird story from Utah. West Valley City Police arrested a Granite School District bus driver who they say set a bus's electrical equipment on fire as he was transporting 66 children. 58-year-old Michael Austin Ford was taken into custody in connection to a school bus fire in February 2022, which investigators report was intentionally set by a Ford while he was behind the wheel. The arrest report described surveillance video of the bus involved in the incident. It shows Ford committing arson. Apparently, this is uh, nothing new. He had done this two times with the buses, and he had set other things on fire. Uh, the only thing police think is he wanted to end up looking like a hero. Unfortunately for him, the uh, whole thing was caught on video of him starting the fire in the bus. If he had done it previously, why was he still a bus driver? Uh, the bus had caught fire at that time, but they didn't know he said it. I see. Uh, there was no video this right. time. There was video where he held the lighter to the actual uh, dashboard part. I see. A North Dakota woman is accused of fatally poisoning her boyfriend with antifreeze Oof. after after learning he had planned to break up with her 
right after he had received a large inheritance. That's reason oh. enough, isn't it? I think Perfect so. Perfect timing. I think so. Yep. 51-year-old Stephen Riley Jr. became ill when he met with a lawyer September 3rd to get the money, witnesses told investigators, according to the Minot Police Department. The girlfriend, Ina Knoyer, called 911 the next day, and paramedics found Riley unresponsive. He was hospitalized and died on September 5th. Oh, he died Four- from this? Oh, yeah, fatal. It was fatal. The 47-year-old Knoyer has been charged with... A double A felony murder, the most severe murder charge in North Dakota. She told investigators she felt entitled to some of Riley's inheritance as his common law wife and planned to split the money, which she estimated to be about $30 million with his son. She's being held without bond at the Ward County Detention Center and is representing herself, according to court records. Uh, Voicemail messages left by the Associated Press for her at the center were not answered. What, did he drink a glass of it? Oh my, uh, she must have put it in stuff, yeah. yeah, because it it says he was sick the day before, mm-hmm. so she was probably just adding a bit more all yeah, the time yeah. to whatever. We uh, we already have an agreement in place. If uh, we fall into riches, yeah, uh, we're going to split it fifty fifty and go our separate ways. All right, <laughs> that's a much healthier than what happened in North Dakota. Yeah, you wouldn't because she's going to start giving it away to her family and all that BS. I'm not having any part of that. No, you going to keep it. <laughs> yeah, wow. they can get a job and work for their That's money. That's right. Charity. Anything I'm with to charity, Kenny. Kenny. Anything to charity? No. Uh, no. 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 You're going to throw a second stork a little bone? I wouldn't you? give any charity. Yeah, I'd, I'd give some to Rook. No, Fair don't some. give any. Nope. Yeah. First thing I'm doing is throwing my phone in the creek, and uh, nobody can get a hold of me. I'd throw mine in the creek. Yeah. Yeah. Do it potato, 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 potato. Rook and I have an agreement anyway, so. Yeah, that's yeah. lock. We can't uh, yeah. can't do any better than that. We can't wait for that to happen. Yeah. What, if you win the lottery? <laughs> we we pay off each other's bills depending on who wins. I'll throw you know. me in there. I hope he wins because I want all my bills paid. I want in yeah. on this. <laughs> I don't know uh, if you can. You uh, don't have the secret handshake. Okay. <laughs> I don't have any bills. See? Yeah. yeah. We'll put oh, away $100 every a- paycheck. <laughs> Joe the Braggart. I don't have Jeez. any bills. Well, I mean, nothing uh, long-standing. I understand. Yeah. Yes, I understand, Joe. It's just a little joke, Joe. Right. In other news, <laughs> authorities are, look- are looking for the person whose donation to a Wisconsin Goodwill last week included ammunition and a live explosive device. Employees of the thrift store in the city of Janesville outside of Madison made the discovery Friday morning while inventorying donated items, prompting the evacuation of an entire city block for more than two and a half hours. I thought you can't donate that type of stuff. Well, I I think probably they I think it was an accident. Oh. Yeah, sometimes they'll just grab the box and they won't look so if you put it at the bottom of the box, you know. The Dane County Bomb Squad was dispatched to the scene, collected the explosive device, identified police as a cluster bomblet. Employees quickly followed safety protocols by informing store and donation center management, according to Goodwill Industries. The Janesville Police Department and Dane County Sheriff's Office Bomb Squad responded at about 1.30 in the afternoon. Nobody hurt. But Janesville cops are looking for the mystery donor of the dangerous items. In a statement, the police department urged residents who have old military ordinances to contact them 
to ensure the devices can be properly disposed of. The age and size of the cluster bomblet found at Goodwill location was not immediately known, uh, but of course they have been banned worldwide since 2010 when the United Nations Convention on Cluster Munitions went into effect. Kenny, don't you have a plan, uh, if you come into wealth, don't you have a plan to go to every Goodwill store in the country and buy every piece of art? No, that's before I, I get oh. rich. If I'm rich, I'm no, I'm checking you out. Don't need to, I'm yeah. disappearing. Yeah, no, but I think that's a wonderful retirement plan. Yeah. Is um, where do the poor people shop at? Goodwill. Goodwill. Yeah, Goodwill. Go to all the poor people shops <laughs> and just buy every single piece of art in there. Eventually, you're going to hit the jackpot. You think you'll hit the jackpot? Mm. Yeah. It's like going down to the joint bar and buying all the pull tabs out of the box. Right. There's got to be one in there with five grand. I you mean, think come so. on. You yeah. Think yeah. So. yeah. Nice plan. John, thank Good you. Thank you're you. welcome. Why don't you take a break, son? The earth is not your mother. The Joe Suchere Show. The St. Paul City Council just approved a multi-million dollar redevelopment project near Allianz Field. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Uh-huh. The first part of it includes a playground that focuses on everyone. Meaning? That's what I'm struggling with. It will be St. Paul's largest inclusive playground. <laughs> You think there's an Asian slide or a, a a black swing? 25 different types of activities. Longtime manufacturer Landscape Structures is partnering with Flagship Recreation to create the playground meant for all abilities, according to inclusive play specialist Jill Moore, who was born with a disability. Oh, okay. All right. When I was growing up, it was never going to be the place that was going to show people what I could do, said Moore. I guess she's referring to a playground. The way it's really changed is people realize we have to go beyond accessibility law and that bare minimum and create things like this that everybody can use and that seeks everybody can use and fit in. Okay. Landscape Structures has been in business for 50 years and designed playgrounds at parks in Crystal, Woodbury, Roseville, and Shoreview. The St. Paul one will be the first of its kind. Here we go. At their website, flagshipplay.com. Play is education. It's an opportunity for everyone to grow, to develop, and above all, to learn. We believe in connecting back to nature, back to where we should play, not removing the landscape, but embracing it. And finally, inclusive. Play for all. Inclusive play embraces this concept, allowing everyone the opportunity to play, regardless of ability. Well, and the playground design is custom-made and being described as whimsical, with a rubber surface, ramps, and sensory experiences. Okay. Most of the playground will be built after this winter with an expected completion date around Memorial Day. Okay, that's great, but I, what does that mean, I wonder? I mean, if you're in a wheelchair, how much can how much of a playground can you take advantage of? That would probably involve ramps. Yeah. You know, you gotta, but you gotta be careful on the downfall. You can't be getting up too fast. Uh, you gotta have good brakes. What are you talking about? I mean, yeah, well, no, he's being serious. But then when they when they go down, you know, you gotta. You don't want to tumble. Right, not like the Special Olympics guys where they just have the bales of hay for the skiers. I saw one guy just ski right through it. 
You know, it just it never stopped. He just, <laughs> just went right, went right safety, through it. Safety. Yeah. And uh, the agony of defeat. Oh, man, that dude. <laughs> no, he was happy. He's smiling. That was like a cartoon thing where you just saw the the like shape of a human being through the hay <laughs> but he was yeah i mean he always smiles though oh yeah it was wonderful yeah. well congratulations i think it's great to have a park that everybody can use i guess i was just puzzled what that means uh you know you got to be careful you got to be careful you go I mean, down on this life. one though you got the rubber you got the rubber floor right yeah. that, that'll boing you know yeah, you bounce, the, boing, uh, bounce right up you know, just, just a little cushion. Through. That's right. Uh, that's right, Matt. That's that's exactly right. What's this? You know. <laughs> oh, I just want to read this. I meant to read this earlier. Oh, I apologize. Look how long it is. It's not that long. <laughs> I, I meant to read this earlier. This is from Vox Magazine. A guy sent to me, Fred in Coos Bay, Oregon. Does that ring a bell? Does anybody know why Fred from Coos Bay, Oregon is uh, somewhat noted in GL? Just tell us. I can't recall. He was was one of the 20 recipients of the GL Medal of Freedom for driving 2,000 miles with his daughter, Hayden, to come to the State Fair to see us. Now I remember. Now he loves the podcast. He was reading last night when he came across this on his phone. It was an article from Vox Magazine detailing the problems Norway is having with electric cars. Mm. Over the last decade, Norway has emerged as the world's undisputed leader in electric vehicle adoption. With generous government incentives available, 87% of the country's new car sales are now fully electric, a share that dwarfs that of European Union, 13%, and the U.S., 7%. While this is impressive, the article then discusses why this is a problem. This is what I found surprising, writes uh, Fred, and why I wanted to share this with you. The author, uh, the article's author, went to Norway to check things out. So I flew across the Atlantic to see what the fuss was about. I discovered a Norwegian EV bonanza that has indeed reduced emissions, but at the expense of compromising vital societal goals. Eye-popping EV subsidies have flowed largely to the affluent, contributing to the gap between rich and poor in a country proud of its egalitarian social policies. Hmm. Worse, the EV boom has hobbled Norwegian city efforts to untether themselves from the automobile and enable residents to instead travel by transit or bicycle. Decisions that do more to reduce emissions, enhance road safety, and enliven urban life than swapping a gas-powered car for an electric one. Classic windmilling. Love the show. I am presently wearing my Moron Number 3 t-shirt. Rookie and Reavers are my heroes. Signed, Fred. (laughs) Thank you, Fred. Who's more on number three? Reavers? No. But wasn't that Ingi? I thought it was Ingi. Ingi is more on three. Self-appointed, right? I mean, self. Yeah, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't by your. I want. I know the Lymans will hear the show, and I have a. I want uh, Tom or Jessica to email us. We have a an absolute problematic influx of people from Ecuador right now in Minneapolis. Billions are going to be spent. Okay. The Lymans are currently in Ecuador on their world travels. Could they give us some insight as to why people are fleeing Ecuador? They they apparently are still they're in Mirador, San Jose, Ecuador. Okay. What what are they finding in Ecuador that 
would alert them to the idea that people are flocking to the United States illegally. What are they getting away from? How bad is it in Ecuador? Now, granted, they're tourists. Maybe they're, uh, but they're tourists on a budget. They're not staying at Ecuador's version of the plaza. So what are they discovering? Right. Isn't that right, Kenny? What are they discovering? Where did Kenny go? <laughs> he left. <laughs> he just the Kenny okay. goodbye. All right. Uh, uh, seriously, yes. Lyman's help us understand this. Uh, on, and it's only because they come to us all the way from the traveling Lyman's. It's on this day in Minnesota history. On this day, November 1st, in 1841, Father Lucian Galtier dedicated his log church to St. Paul, the Apostle of Nations. The name was deemed superior to Pig's Eye, the community's previous name, and St. Paul was incorporated as a town on this date. In 1849, Hmm. the log structure later served as the first school of the Sisters of St. Joseph. That's my mother's alma mater. And in 1856, its logs were dismantled, numbered, and hauled up the hill to St. Joseph's Academy construction site. Bad communication, though. Hmm. Organizers do not communicate the plan to rebuild the chapel as a historic site to... To uh, as a historic site, so the workmen used the logs to warm themselves in their coffee. <laughs> they built a big fire with the logs from the original cabin. That's just crazy. The original cabin? Where do they get that? Oh, wacky. <laughs> Log cabin. <laughs> Dick Prennicky. On this day... November 1st. In 1849, the legislature established funding for the territory's public schools. And wasn't that a mistake? (laughs) By decree of the Northwest Ordinance, one section in each township had been set aside to support a school. And in Minnesota, those lands were not sold for short-term cash, but were rented out to provide a steady and long-term cash flow. Martin McLeod authored the bill which Territorial Governor Alexander Ramsey considered his administration's most important piece of legislation. Hmm. Is that it? See, I look up for reaction, and you're just uh, you're obviously consumed with something else. And I'll tell you what it is in a second, because I, I missed something yesterday. On this day... 1-1. One, one, one. It has to do with on this day in history. In 1976... The first issue of the Circle newsletter was published by the Minnesota Ameri- uh, by, I'm sorry by the Minneapolis American Indian Center. It contains stories about the lives and values of Native Americans in the Twin Cities Metro. The newsletter became a newspaper in March 1980 with a grant from the Dayton Hudson Foundation. I don't know if it still exists, but it was on this day it debuted in 19. 19- 76. Dayton's was very um, charitable. I know that. Yes. What are you toying with? Uh, Something I missed yesterday on this day in history, October 31st. That's Halloween. 1950. It was 83 degrees. A beautiful thespian, John Franklin Candy, was born, who lived to be a ripe old age of 43. He checked out in March of 94. He had a Catholic upbringing, Polish mom. Just a, a great Canadian. I just, that's just fact. Not quoting.
I'm just, this is fact. I missed that yesterday that well, he how, was born. How, how have you come about this? It's a long, long road. It was on Twitter. Come on. I saw it too. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I apologize to my friend that has gone down to the great beyond that I, that I missed on this day in history for his birthday. He'd probably laugh about that. I wonder how he'd laugh. Don't forget that the Thank you. Thank you. Joe what? Precision Garage Door of the Twin Cities is your official sponsor of Garage Logic. It's going to be fun, man. We're going to have a town council meeting. Annual meeting at Tattersall in River Falls. Find out more and sign up for the Garage Logic Town Council at garagelogic.com. Bring your questions Perfect. as though you're attending yeah. your council Open meeting. mic. If there was a hole in the sky where the tree once stood, <laughs> took right. place at an actual city council meeting. Yes. Sky's the limit when you go to YouTube. Subscribe to Garage Logic. Super easy to do. And Reavers missed one thing on garagelogic.com. We've got some garb available. So get your garb and bring it to the city count uh, the town council meeting. Chop.